turn your Bible to John 17, please. John, the 17th chapter. We're looking in these weeks leading up to Easter at the scriptures that depict the last few hours in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Everything from chapter 13 through 17 belongs in the period of time in the upper room or at Gethsemane. The work has been finished and now Jesus is going to Gethsemane's garden and there he prays, not my will but thine be done. We often speak of the Lord's Prayer as being found in Matthew 5, the Lord is my, uh, our Father which art in heaven and so on. But the real Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And so you and I are covered or included in this prayer. The passage that Teddy read a moment ago is the passage we want to focus on this morning. But I'd like to read the first part of this before we get to that. Beginning in chapter 17, verse 1, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now this was the night before the cross. I believe that this part of the section of scripture took place in Gethsemane. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that Jesus and the disciples left the upper room, went down by the brook Kidron, and came into the place called Gethsemane. As disciples wait there, he took Peter, James, and John and went a little further. And then he asked them to wait there while he went further and prayed. If you should go to Gethsemane today, you would find a huge rock. And they, uh, tradition says this is the rock where Jesus prayed. And I believe the 17th chapter of John is what he prayed. The only glimpses we get from Matthew, Mark, and Luke are not my will but thine be done and he settled Gethsemane he settled Calvary he settled the cross he settled the whole work of salvation but notice in verse 4 I have glorified thee on the earth I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do the work of salvation was completed in Gethsemane now someone will say that couldn't be because the cross had not taken place yet. The cross itself was settled in Gethsemane. I think the devil either tried to kill Jesus in Gethsemane or tried to deter him from going to the cross. Either one of those. But Jesus said, not my will but thine be done. Lord, if it would be possible, may this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. After this, then Jesus, in victory, after he had shed 
great drops of blood as sweat. Then he prayed, Lord, I have finished thy work. The work of salvation was completed on the cross, but the reason it was completed on the cross is because of who Jesus is. If Jesus were a mere man and had died on the cross, that would not be a finished work of salvation. There have been many people who have died. There have been many good people who have died as examples. But Jesus was God in human flesh. And you can't kill God. They thought they had. They crucified him. But three days later, he was raised from the grave, and he's triumphantly victorious over the grave and sin and death and hell. And he's alive forevermore. All that was settled in Gethsemane. And so the Lord said, I have finished the work. The next day on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Three days later, when he was raised from the grave, the disciples were told by the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you not remember what he said? Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Well, as part of that prayer, there were at least three things that I think we ought to notice. Look in verse 20. In this prayer, Jesus said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The very first thing that we want to notice in this lesson is Jesus' prayer for us. He said, I don't pray just for my disciples, just for those who are here now, but for all those who will believe on me through their word. You and I have a wonderful heritage. We believe because somebody has told us the word. All through these 2,000 years, somebody has translated the scriptures. For many, many years, they copied it by hand. They just wrote the scripture out by hand. And then... When the printing press was established, they began to print the scriptures. And they printed in the scriptures in every, almost every known language. And the Wycliffe people and uh, the New Tribes people are, are now translating scriptures into languages that have not yet uh, broken the language barriers, into tribal languages and so on. So the Word of God is going forth. And Jesus prays for those in native lands who are hearing the word through the translators. And in this scripture, Jesus is praying for them. He's praying for you and me who have heard the word. You think for a moment, where did you hear the word? Who told you about Jesus? How did you know how to be saved? Somebody told you. Somebody gave you the word. Maybe it was a mother or daddy. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was some soul winner coming to your home. Somewhere along the line, Someone showed you the Word of God. And Jesus said, I've prayed for you because you have heard the Word through somebody else. And this is what he prayed for us. He said that they may be one. Now some try to make that mean that there would be no more Methodists and Baptists and 
Church of Christ people and Catholic people and everybody all be one big hodgepodge. Well, that isn't what he's saying. If you'll notice the next verse, he says that they all, verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That is, that we may be one with the Father, one with the Son, that we may be in Christ. One of the most famous terms that the Apostle Paul used was the term in Christ. He said that over and over again. And when we come to Jesus, we are in Christ. What? Know you not that you're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, because you're not your own any longer. We belong to Him, and we're to be one in Him. One with Christ is speaking of having the same motivations, the same ambitions, the same commitments to do the will of the Father. And that's Jesus' prayer for us. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to help fulfill that prayer. Amen. I'd like for us to, to say, Lord, I want the same motivations that you had. Amen. I want the same ambitions that you had. I want the same commitment to do the will of the Heavenly Father that you had. More about Jesus would I know, more of his love to others show. Oh, my Jesus, I need thee every hour. And you know, the magnificent thing about being a Christian is that what, not only are we in Christ, but we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He corrects us from the inside. As the Word of God is read and preached and studied, and uh, we hear it in, in Sunday school, we hear it in the uh, preaching services, or we just read it by ourselves in the morning or at night or wherever it is. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God speaks to us, and it draws us all into Him. Now, if Rick York is in Christ, and his motivation is to do the will of God, and his ambition is to follow Jesus, and I am in Christ, and my motivation is to do the will of God, and my ambition is to follow Christ, then what happens to Rick and me? We walk together in harmony, because we're one in Him. That doesn't mean you tear down all the denominational barriers. It means that as we get closer to Jesus, we're one in Him. Amen. And that's His prayer. Secondly, look over in verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. What he's saying is, Lord, I pray that you'll just keep them. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you think God would ignore the prayer of Jesus? Is there anybody here who would stand and say, well, I just tell you, God doesn't care anything about Jesus. He's going to ignore his prayer. He won't listen to him. I don't believe that. Amen. I believe God heard the prayer of Jesus. Amen. And I believe these years, these thousands of years, when believers come to Christ, trust Christ as personal Savior, and Jesus comes to live inside of us, 
God honors the prayer of Jesus and keeps us through the power of God. In the book of Peter, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living or a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. How come we're kept? How come that a person that is really saved, genuinely born again, can never be lost? Is it because we never wander? Is it because we never sin after we get saved? I think almost everyone here would testify that couldn't be true because I know I've sinned since I've been saved. What well, is it because we love God so much that we keep ourselves saved? We hold on to His undying hand. I like the song, Hold On to His Undying Hand. I like that. It isn't altogether scriptural because He holds on to us. You go down on a busy street down here in Bowling Green or out at the Greenwood Mall or somewhere, and you have your little boy or girl with you, and you may say, hold on to daddy, hold on to mama, and, and, and you mean that, but do you trust them to do that? What do you do? You hold on to them. You get their hand, and when you go across the street, they feel like they're being pulled because you've got their hand. You're holding on to them. That's what God does. He holds on to us. And that's what Jesus prayed, Father, hold on to these that you have given me, that none of them would be lost. Amen. And beloved, if you've been saved, if you're in Christ Jesus, God is holding you. Amen. You are His. He is yours. You're in Him. Does that give us a license to sin? Does that mean that we can go just do anything we want to do and, and cuss and swear and snort and drink and do anything we want to do? The old Adamic nature? Well, I want to tell you, according to the Word of God, if we can do all those things and God's Holy Spirit doesn't bother us, you can just write one thing down, you're not saved. In Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. When we were children, how many of you had a mother or daddy that either spanked you or disciplined you in some way or another? Lift your hands. Yeah, they did it because they hated you. Is that right? They despised you. They wanted to get rid of you, throw you out. They didn't throw you out. They, they didn't just discard you. They did that. They, some of them might have been nicer than others. <laughs> some of them might have been gruffer than others. But they did it because they love you. That's what God does. And my friend, if you're really born again, God is continually answering the prayer of Jesus, keep them. And so the Father in heaven deals with a sinning Christian in one of three ways, or four ways. Number one, he hurts her heart. If we won't listen to our heart, God sends somebody to us. If we won't listen to that, then God causes the winds of affliction to blow. And discipline, doctor bills and home problems and all kinds of problems. If we won't listen to that, then God has an early funeral. He just calls us on home. 
Do we go to hell? No. No believer ever goes to hell because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. And God is continually in the business of answering Jesus' prayer, Lord, keep them. Don't let them be lost. Now, the third great truth in this scripture is in verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I can hardly read that scripture without tears. Jesus prayed for you and me. He prayed, Father, I pray that they will be with me in the glory so they can behold my glory. When Jesus was here in the days of his flesh, very few saw the glory of God. Those who recognized who Jesus was partially recognized the glory of God because they received him as their Lord and Savior. But even then, the last glimpse they had was of a Jesus dying on a cross with back lashed to smithereens, his face smashed with the whips and the lashes and all disfigured, his beard pulled, and the thorns crushed down and the blood streaming down and the nail prints in his hands. That's what they beheld. Glory? Yes. Jesus said, now am I glorified? Am I lifted up? The glory there was that he died for every one of us. Man. And that was the glory of God in Christ, that Christ paid the price for our sins. You and I don't pay the price for our sins. He did it. Man. That's the reason we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by joining the church. Everybody gets saved ought to be baptized immediately, but we're not saved by being baptized. We're not saved by walking the straight and narrow. We're sa Those are all demonstrations that we are saved. Man. We're saved by what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for you and me, and he died in our place. Man. Well, now Jesus said, Lord, I want them to see my glory. We saw the par partial glory. But what he's referring to is the glory that he had with the Father before he came to earth. None of us have ever seen that. We get glimpses of it when the choirs sing. We get glimpses of it when they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive riches and honor and power and wisdom and strength and glory and honor. We get glimpses of it when they sing the hallelujah chorus, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth forever and ever. We get glimpses of it when they bring those banners down, Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But those are just glimpses of glory. Jesus said, I want them to see my glory. This week we've had some people go out in death. And I believe they've already seen the glory of God. Man. Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And let's look just for a moment. John was invited to come through the door that was open in heaven and to behold the glory of God. Now look at this. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice that I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. 
which said, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardis stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And around about the throne were four and twenty elders, or thrones, and upon the thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunders and voices, that were, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, and the four living creatures was like uh, the first of the living creatures were like a lion, the second like a calf, the third uh, had the face of a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures each had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Look down at verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And look in chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, and, and hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive riches and power and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of Jesus. And Jesus said, now, Father, I want those who have trusted me to behold my glory. Now, you know what that assures us of? That one day, you and I who have been saved are going to be translated into his presence, and we will see his glory. Why? Because we're good enough? Not on your life. Because we held out true to the end? thousand times no but because of who Jesus is. Amen. And Jesus prayed for us in that garden. Oh Lord, that they might be one as we're one and that they might behold my glory. If you're not saved, if you've never given your heart to Christ, you're not gonna behold his glory. You're not gonna see him in all of his glory. It will be an outer darkness forever. A tragic tragedy of all tragedies. I've seen people go to hell. I've seen people go to heaven. There's a difference. I've seen people gather around a casket. Almost everybody weeps at a casket. Those that try to be mannish enough to hold their tears, they go somewhere else later and cry. But I've seen people gather around a casket 
where that one in the casket is lost or they're lost. I heard a man say one day to his mother, she was in the casket, she said, goodbye, mama, goodbye, I'll never see you again. Isn't that tragic? She was a Christian, he was lost. I've seen people stand by caskets and what literally want to get down in the casket and hold on to that body. There's no spirit in that body. They just want to hang on to it because all they knew was that body. They didn't know the spirit. I want to ask you, do you have the spirit of Jesus living in your life? Do you know him as your savior? Have you received him as your Lord? If you have, you come under the prayer of Jesus right here. He's praying for you. He prayed for you, and God is answering his prayer day by day by day. And when you come to the last moment of your life, and your loved ones stand by and see you draw a last breath, if you're saved, they can know and you can know in a moment you'll see his glory because Jesus prayed that you would see his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray this morning that someone who has never been saved would open his heart to Jesus and would behold the glory of the Lord here and have the assurance of beholding that glory later at death's door. God bless this congregation and everyone who's listened by radio. And we pray that this prayer of Jesus would be activated in our lives as we let the Savior come in. Let him into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.